Hi, I'm Dee Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. Just did a nice V cut on a Romacraft Neanderthal cigar. Now, what do you picture when you think of a Neanderthal cigar? <laughs> something very rough hewn, something really thick and kind of stink. That's not the case with this one. This is a beautiful cigar. It's not very large. It's um, about a 48 ring gauge, maybe 50 tops. It's about a four inch cigar. It tastes incredibly nice. It's one of the best cigars I've had in a long time. The review on uh, Cigars International <laughs> suggests that it is a dark, toothy blend that tastes like a dream. You know, you could take that however you want. I've had some toothy dreams that are not very pleasant. Anyway, it's similar to their uh, to their Flathead cigar, if you've had one of those from CAO, and it is very good. Very enjoyable cigar. I think I'll light it right now. Ah, uh, you know... This is actually a torch. It sounds like a Zippo, but it's actually a Zippo designed for cigars. So those of you who might be thinking I'm just using a good old Zippo with diesel in it or something <laughs> like that, relax, relax. If you're a cigar smoker, relax. And I'm out of the big long wooden matches that I was given recently. Used them all up which is my favorite or second favorite way of lighting cigars. My first favorite is to use these little cedar staves that I've got. It starts off with a really enjoyable smell. So here we go. This is the Romacraft Neanderthal. Great cigar. Mm -hmm. Everything it's cracked up to be. Very good cigar. Wish you were here. If you were here, I would ask you what you have been saying yes to recently. I just said yes to another cup of dark coffee. Normally I share what I'm having with you with a with a nice glass of bourbon, but I'm recording this fairly early in the afternoon and just wasn't feeling a bourbon. I know, don't be disappointed. Wasn't really feeling a bourbon. I'm going to save that for later or maybe tomorrow. But I was feeling a good dark cup of coffee. I don't know, I must not have very active caffeine receptors in my brain because I can drink coffee all day long and not feel it at all. could have a quad espresso and fall asleep. Maybe that's why I have had those... Uh, Toothy dark dreams. <laughs> what do I mean? What about that means? That'll be edited out, I hope. You know, so there's a phrase I hear from time to time. Maybe you hear it as well. I bet I even say it. Here's the phrase. Well, that's a great idea. Sometimes I say it sarcastically. Well, that's a great idea. <laughs> but it's a pretty common phrase to bounce around in organizational life. Let's call today's podcast the dark side of great ideas. Ooh, there should be some dark side music going on right here. <laughs> the dark side of great ideas. Have you ever had a really good idea or been around somebody who has great ideas and it's kind of exciting? Ideas are exciting. They are to me. They probably are to you. We like being around idea people. If someone says to you or has said to me, you're an idea person or you're very creative, I take that as a compliment. And I think that's wonderful stuff. We like the idea of great ideas. <laughs> but... We don't know if an idea is a great idea until it's actually implemented. Think about that. It may just be 
an idea. It might be a horrific idea. <laughs> we don't even know till it's been implemented, but we give ourselves and one another a great deal of credit when it comes to ideas by their mere existence. We say yes, but the idea doesn't become a reality. We look at a great idea. We think, yes, let's do that. We say it to one another. We might even we might even make it officially in an enterprise that you're a part of. And let's do this. This is a great idea. And someone writes it down somewhere. But it isn't a great idea until it becomes a reality. And in fact, sometimes we have so many of these great ideas and then they don't become reality and we start to, we start to get discouraged. We keep track of great ideas that have been floating around in our teams and in our organizations and that have just sort of disappeared. Or maybe they're just still floating around. Maybe they're on our wish list of great things we're going to try to accomplish. But if we don't get moving on those great ideas fairly quickly, they become kind of discouraging to us. Feels kind of, let's use a clinical term here, feels kind of icky. <laughs> and maybe we even uh, cope with that icky feeling, that discouragement of having seven or eight or 50 great ideas sitting over there on the sideline waiting for something to happen with them, but nothing ever really does. And that icky feeling, we start to kind of medicate ourselves. You know the most common way we medicate ourselves against the discouragement of unfulfilled ideas? We come up with more ideas. We get more creative. Here, yeah, that, that didn't work. Well, we never even really tried it. We never even really set it into the execution pipeline to make it happen. But it feels icky that it's just sitting over there, so let's just create a new idea. So we become creative and we find ourselves in that loop again. So what is creativity? You know, creativity has been studied quite a bit, and uh, it was, we're, we're fairly new at uncovering how creativity happens. It's difficult to study how creativity happens and where it happens in the brain because it's difficult to prompt it. And any kind of scientific study we might do, neuropsychological study we might do, is based upon the idea that we have a thesis and we want to try that thesis out and we want to have a control group where we try something on one group and try the opposite of it on another group or don't try it at all and then control and compare. Problem is, it's just almost impossible for us to figure out ways to prompt creativity on demand and therefore study it. But we do know a few things about creativity, which is where ideas spring from. Creativity really means that there are some, there's some new idea. There's some sort of novelty to the new idea. We know that that new idea is potentially satisfying. Thinking about that new creative idea is potentially satisfying. And that it's probably going to be able to meet some sort of present or felt need for us. That's creativity. It usually arises out of a context that is kind of unclear and vague and open-ended, but there is a very clear and present felt need. Creativity seems to spring out of those environments. Some folks seem to be more creative than others, and we think it's because they have actually trained themselves to be more creative. They've trained themselves to look for novelty and to train themselves to be in, in unclear, vague, open-ended situations where there's a felt need and to be comfortable in those situations. So why then do so many great ideas go unrealized? There are great ideas around us all the time, and, and we live in all sorts of vague, unclear, open-ended situations, and we have all sorts of felt need, but why is there a plethora of great ideas, and understand I'm air quoting even as I say that, that go unrealized? Why do so many great ideas just flounder and disappear? Your great ideas and the ideas of others around us. Here's two thoughts. First of all, we know that there are different parts of the brain 
that are employed and active when we create a new idea compared to when we execute and implement that same idea. We know that there are different physical and emotional sensations that go with the creation of an idea compared to the execution and the implementation of that same idea. We know that there is dopamine involved, and you've heard of dopamine before, and, and if you haven't, do a quick look up. It's, it's often thought of as that neurochemical that gives us drive. Well, we know that there is a type of dopamine called prefrontal dopamine, and that's the dopamine that's involved in creating ideas. Then we know that there is a striatal dopamine, and that is the kind of dopamine that affects the part of our brain responsible for organization, completion, execution, for physical movement that's aimed specifically at the completion of a task. It's that type of dopamine acting on our brain that we often call the reward part of our brain. And the reward in this case is specific to physical movement that completes an idea or a plan or a task. So we know there's two types of dopamine, at least that are functioning in the creation and the movement toward an idea. And we know that the rewards are different in both of them. The prefrontal dopamine feels, I'll use that imprecise term, like we've finished something just by coming up with the idea. But the striatal dopamine doesn't feel like we've completed something until we've moved physically and completed a task. Oftentimes, our great ideas sit in our prefrontal dopamine tank, and we feel like thinking of something is enough. So that's one idea, different parts of the brain. It's satisfying to just think of an idea. Ha, huh, my job here is done. <laughs> Maybe that's where you've been before. Here's the second idea. And this is the main idea of this podcast, and this is the dark side of great ideas. Execution, making an idea happen, means saying no thousand times after we've said yes once. And this is not a pleasant experience. Well, what are we saying no to? If we said yes to an idea to find out if it's a great idea, which is really how I think about that, when someone comes up with an idea around me, I will often say back to them, that could be a great idea, let's find out. Instead of, oh, great idea, pat them on the back, give them a dopamine rush in the prefrontal region of their brain, and then we feel like job done. <laughs> now, we really want to understand that when we say yes, we're saying no, a thousand times that follow that. And that's not all that pleasant. So then what are we saying no to? Well, we're saying no to two big buckets of things. One, we're saying no to now stuff. We're saying no when we say yes to the idea. We say no to our current comfort. We say no to time spent on other good ideas or great ideas that take away from this one. We say no to excessive planning. Excessive planning, by the way, is often just a, a cleverly and thinly disguised way of worrying. We're worrying and so we plan and then we worry and then we plan because we think that the planning will help us solve the thing we're worrying about. And we also say no to certainty. That's the now bucket. You might be able to think of a few more things that you've said no to in the now bucket. Then there's the second bucket. We're saying no to later stuff. Here's a big one. We're saying no to opportunities. This is called by economists 
opportunity cost. If I choose to do this with this hour, it means I can't do that with that hour. But generally, creative people realize not just that it's a one-for-one trade-off, I could do this or that, but creative people realize that we could do this or that or that or that or that or that, (laughs) right? So the opportunity cost is intense. We're saying no to what might have been, could have been, could still be later down the road because we're spending time and energy, goodwill, money on this idea. Also in that later stuff bucket, we have to say no to overthinking, have to say no to second guessing, and we have to say no to regret. We have to say no to making everyone happy all the time throughout the entire process. That's the dark side of great ideas. When we say yes to the great idea, we have to have the courage, which is what it takes, and the fortitude to say no a thousand times. Here's something else, by the way. This is just between you and me. There's a really dark side of great ideas. Great ideas that go unimplemented. Disengagement. Disengagement by others because we have had seven of these great ideas this month and none of them have moved forward. Or 700 of them this year (laughs) and none of them have moved forward. Those around us upon whom we rely to accomplish great things become disengaged. And maybe not just them, but maybe there's a little voice in your head that says, yeah, well, you didn't do those last 17 things. So probably not going to do this either. So we stop coming up with the creative ideas and we stop learning. Another part of the really dark side of having great ideas that we do not implement is if we're not creating, we're consuming. And so when I think of creating, I don't think of coming up with a great idea. In fact, I don't feel like I or my teams or those who I work with have created anything until it has been implemented. So how do you do this? How do you keep from falling into the dark side where we say yes to one thing and then yes to a bunch of other things and then we never get this great idea tested and implemented? Well, first of all, let's go ahead and count the cost of saying yes. Let's openly say to one another, if we say yes to this, it's highly likely that we're not going to say yes to those things over there. We'll have to say no to those things. Let's count the cost of saying yes. And then go ahead and say yes fully, yes, we're going to do this as nearly as we can tell with our eyes wide open. We're doing this and not that. And enjoy leaning into the yes in the context of a thousand no's. And then test your willingness to implement the idea by saying no to some other good thing immediately. That if you said yes to it, would slow down, water down, distract your ability to accomplish this next new good thing. Start by saying no immediately. And then talk to one another, talk to yourself like this. I'm saying yes to this and no to that so that I can accomplish that big yes. So you've got great ideas, but that's not enough. In fact, having great ideas that you do not implement is worse than having no ideas at all because we end up paralyzing ourselves. We end up tranquilizing ourselves. We end up becoming these jaded pessimists around what could be great ideas. But remember, great ideas are only great ideas if we implement them, which means we have to say yes to that great idea, but eyes wide open, we're saying no 
to a thousand other things along the way that would make that great idea impossible. Apply that to yourself. Apply that all over the place. Apply it to investments of time and energy and money and relationships. Say yes to what matters and say no to a thousand things. I'm going to say yes to the rest of this cigar. Let me invite you to also pop on over to YouTube, check out the Hilt Academy, High Impact Leadership Training, H-I-L-T Academy on YouTube, and you'll be able to see some videos we've put together, and you'll be able to actually watch me sit there. I won't be smoking a cigar, but I'll be talking to you face-to-face from our Hilt Academy studio, sharing a bunch of fun things we've learned over the years. Some of them show up on these podcasts, but most of them don't, so it's a different kind of channel that we've developed. So I hope your day is going great. I'm going to finish this cigar and I'm going to finish this nice cup of coffee and say yes to one thing today and no to a thousand things. (laughs) There you go. Take care. Have a great day. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment, leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcast books and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.